uh, multiple offers and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. London, London's never seen anything like that. That's that's for certain. We're just in this incredible space, you know, in terms of you know low inventory, the, the typical stuff that we're seeing and hearing all over. But right. ultimately, when we you know examine it, it's uh, it's it's a different time. It's a different different market for different people and, and how they navigate it. Yeah. Now, in your market, uh, average price has gone up significantly too. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're hovering around the six hundred thousand mark right now, and it, it appears to be in, increasing. Wow. Which when I when I started, our average sale price was you know about two fifty. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's you know thirteen years ago, but um, two fifty, and I always dealt in you know a little bit lower end, you know, just firing and things like that, and uh, yeah, you know, the the fire markets that that we you know tried to get some business out of. Yes. And to see what it's done in the last two years uh, has just been unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm still shocked each day when I see the, the sale prices get published. It's like, how did that even sell for that? You know, you don't, you don't expect those values. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long have you been in real estate? So I've been in, it'll be 30, well, it's, it's I completed 32 years. So okay. I'm going on my 33rd year this year. And what what led you into it? I, I mean, I, I know a little bit about you, and uh, certainly I'm sure most here have have heard of you or have, have you know done some business because of the volume that you do. But what got you into real estate, and, and really, what allowed you to you know get started in it? And I, I can't wait to hear more about your trajectory in it for for such a phenomenal story that it is. Yeah, it, it, it was really just sort of this, this desire to learn uh, about uh, real estate and investing. And it wasn't even about sales like that. That's not and I, I was just a kid, I was 18 years old. And uh, I just wanted to learn about building wealth. And that was I was obsessed with, you know, how do people do that? How do they develop how do they own all these rental properties and and uh you know one of the things that i wrote about in my book was uh uh being inspired by someone you wouldn't normally be inspired with. it was a gentleman by the name of tom Fu, mm-hmm. who was on uh infomercials late at night uh showing off his rolls royce and his uh mansions and the hot babes on the back of his boat and i'm like right. dude i want to be that guy mm-hmm. <laughs> right so that's kind of like what were the inspiration was there. And then, of course, uh, it led to taking some courses. And I had some time in the summer, which, uh, which, I, which I took advantage of. And I just went to the local college. And in those days, it was six weeks in class. And you got your license. Wow, really? So that, 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 and then I just, I just thought, well, I had a friend whose dad was a realtor at Century 21. And uh, he said, go talk to my dad. His dad said, you look too young, you should go to school. And, and while I was waiting for the bus, uh, I remembered that a, an old friend of my father's uh, had an office across from the bus terminal. So I went up and talked to him. And he said, Yeah, why don't you start coming here after school? And I'll, uh, I'll show you the ropes and then never looked back. So what does that look like, though, as far as you getting started in real estate? And, and when did it actually really I would say, begin to, to take off? So, you know, it, it was interesting. It was 1988, November of 88, that I got licensed. And then that Christmas, I met a group of individuals who were visiting from South Africa, of South Asian descent, that were just looking at investing money. The whole apartheid thing was going on in South Africa. Um, you know, things were getting nationalized. They were trying to get their money out of the country. They had a lot of money in the UK already and they thought Canada was a safe place to invest not not so much from a growth perspective but just to have some security of funds Mm -hmm. and we were at a dinner conversation and I was just sort of listening in and uh, and uh, one of the elderly gentlemen sort of you know threw some attention my way asked me if I was in school and I said well no I'm I'm finishing school and I'm uh, you know in my final year of high school but I'm I'm also a realtor. And he said, oh, well, we're interested in investing. And I said, well, here's my card and uh, let me know if I can help you with anything. And of course, on Monday, they called and said, we're going to be in the area and we'd like to, you know, see what you guys have in the way of commercial properties and 
developments and that type of thing. And it turned out that that single-handedly was uh, just about a $1.5 million transaction that I did in that week. And, you know, so as a high school student to do that kind of business, and then another gentleman that was out of Hamilton, who was a friend of my father's uh, that I knew he was, uh, you know, into developments and all that. I didn't really know what he did, but you know, I was speaking to him and he said, well, if you ever, you know, Cambridge is up and coming, if there's ever any some land in that area, let me know. And I came across a parcel of land and I called him and he came down, looked at it and thought it was a great piece and um, ended up purchasing that for half a million dollars. And in those days, you know, to do $2 million and uh, they used to have um, uh, something called the million dollar club back in those days mm. at, at most of the companies and that meant that you sold a million dollars worth of real estate in the <laughs> year and you know the average price in Cambridge at that time was ninety thousand dollars for a home to do you know so if, if you sold 10 or 12 homes that year you were part of the million dollar club and of course I was very fortunate that uh, I did that in my first two months of being in the business mm. and Oh, you just muted there. Sorry, did I did I mute? Oh, yeah, it just, it just muted for some reason, but you're you're all good now. Yeah, so sorry, I don't know where I left off, but yeah, that was my start. Uh, uh, just starting out, and I I was able to convince my parents to let me not go to university, and they were not happy about that. They're certainly very happy now, but they weren't at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, would, I would think so. Yeah. So you started with, with C21 by the sounds of it? No, I actually got rejected by C21. Oh, you got rejected by them. Okay. Yeah, I was disheartened and I was waiting at, I didn't even have a car. Uh, you know, I was probably the, the first realtor in the world without a vehicle, but uh, I didn't have a car. I was, well, I was just 18 years old. I just uh, left high school to, to go for this interview. And then I walked across the street and met Mr. Maneri, who was my first broker. He was, he was 74 at the time. So he was the eldest member of the real estate board. And I was the youngest member of the real estate board. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, quite the, uh, quite the partnership. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, he mentored me. And I learned a lot uh, with him. I, I, I was with him right from 88 until 91, uh, sorry, no, 1990. And then I, I joined a company called Realty World, which was very big in London uh, at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I joined that company, but in the Cambridge branch. And I stayed with them until 1994, at which time I joined uh, Remax. And I've been with Remax for, I guess, 26 years now. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a great longevity with, with an organization as well. So yeah. Yeah. when you look at the dynamic of, okay, you're having some success, what, I guess, systems strategy did you start to take? I mean, did you do some of the traditional stuff like door knocking, cold calling, things like that? Was it, was it all, you know, the connections that you have? I mean, I'm sure that everybody would love to hear how you you created business and then how that really progressed as well. So, so I always took a very sort of uh, a contrarian approach to this industry. I, I, I've gone against the conventional wisdoms that are out there and thought, okay, I'm going to pave my own way. I'm going to try some different things. I'm got. I'm going to model excellency, but I'm going to get creative with it. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of critiquing it and trying to adapt it to myself. Um, I, I tried to do it a little bit different and creatively. So um, I looked at what the top producers were doing in my region. And yes, everybody was door knocking. Everybody was cold calling. But you would find that they would do it for a little bit of time and that they would be completely deflated, lose the motivation, um, and just stop and just sort of you know, slow down and, and, and just eventually get out of the business because they were exhausted. So I took my sphere of influence as my primary focus. And I really tried to cultivate that. What I did was I went back to um, my community, which was a South Asian community. I was one of the first South Asian agents in my region. And I speak four different languages. Mm. So 
I started off not asking them to give me business, but letting them know that I'm here for them. And in those days, uh, you know, 32 years ago, there were a lot of new immigrants, didn't speak English very well, were not very adapted to the Western society. Um, so I would do things like take them to the employment office, help them fill out some forms, take them to, um, you know, whatever government uh, agencies they need, like getting their driver's license. So I became more of a community service individual, which I was happy to do. And my father had done that for years. So I learned from my dad what he was doing to help the community settle into the town. And the the unintended consequences of that was you I was forming this 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 following or this loyalty from from the, that community and the community supported me when they were in a position to rent a home sell a home buy a home whatever they want to do they would always turn to me because I had always been there as an advisor or a translator or whatever you want to call it um, so that was my number one um, sort of sphere that I tapped into number two. As I said, I was 18 years old, so I had just, uh, you know, I had made uh, a lot of friends within within uh, the the uh, community. So I reached out to those people, people who I'd worked part time jobs with. I worked at the local mall, um, you know, byway at the time. I was a stock boy. I worked at I worked as a bank teller. I had a little side business going there where I was printing t-shirts and, and caps and whatnot. So I reached out to those individuals personally and said, hey, I'm in real estate now, right down to my paper route. Because until I was 16 years old, I had a massive paper route. And I was um, uh, known in my neighborhood as the paper boy. So I, I went on and I and I and I gave um, uh, them some information. I dropped off some information about me, flyers and whatnot. And that was uh, another uh, aspect of sort of uh, farming, if you want to call it. And then lastly, I, I used to receive many um, uh, things in the mailbox from realtors, but I would it would be intermittent. You would get it you know, during the spring season, then you wouldn't hear about anything else until next year's spring season. Mm -hmm. So that's where modeling, you know, excellent creatively, I decided that I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it consistently. So I started with a 500 home farming area, which I couldn't afford to put, you know, a stamp on or pay Canada Post to do those things. So I would walk the streets every night dropping off flyers just basically never door knocked never picked up the phone nothing cold I was absolutely horrified by the idea of having a door slammed in my face and to this day I've never picked up the phone and cold called but I've done a lot of passive marketing that mm. includes flyers billboards buses benches and you know now given social media um Boy, I mean, if I had that uh, 32 years ago, uh, you know, it would have been a, a completely different story. It's a game changer. And, you know, social media has become your database. And mm -hmm. that's, that's how you have to look at it today. And I think people don't realize, and, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I'm an older guy. I can't believe the amount of young people today that have the tech savviness that, that are not taking full advantage of that, not boosting their ads, not retargeting, not engaging. And, and it doesn't take much. It's a post today, but engaging and having a conversation. I still handle all of my own social media uh, as far as engagement. Uh, the posting, I do outsource that because I don't have the time to do it, or nor do I have the, uh, the knowledge to be able to, sure. to do the design work. But you know, once you once you have that rhythm and once you have that flow, um, so you know today's database is not necessarily what you have on your Rolodex. It's what you have in your circle and how you engage. And it's not taking the lazy way where uh, you know you wait for that every third month to send out a newsletter or you know you have that scheduling. It's 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 in real time. Everything's in real time. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, um, you know, some of the, the forms of passive marketing flyers, which I've, I've done a lot of myself, uh, you know, benches, billboards, things like that, has that stayed consistent throughout your entire career? And, and have you just kept adding to it or, or are there set amounts or set number of, you know, signs or is it just you want to dominate the whole, whole landscape that you're in? 
So in my earlier days, I allocated 20% of my gross income towards marketing. And that included flyers, magazines, newspapers, you name it, billboards, that's where. I'm, I'm on about 15 buses in my street, uh, in, sorry, in my, in my city, um, on the back of the buses. Um, so it's, it's that passive marketing. You're sort of top of mind. It's like that elevator music. It's in the background, not enough to annoy you, but it's there. And when you can pay attention to it, you will, and you might think about it. Uh, so, you know, you want to sort of be everywhere. And, and that's one of the things that I ask my, my sellers or, or people that call me is how did you hear about me? And the response I often get is you're everywhere. So I've got a big sign at the um, massive sign at this local arena, um, the buses, the, the billboards. Now, as far as flyers, um, I've 100% stopped all print advertising as of three years ago. So there's no more print advertising. I found that uh, it, it was very effective until um, I got my social media following up and running, and now I can target the audiences that I want. Um, and the key to social media marketing, again, I've said this before, is engagement. Um, you see a post come up, it's very important that you take the moment to like that post or engage with them because, you know, we are a sort of a like um, driven audience yeah. now. And we want that uh, affirmation from people that we're being listened to or we're being acknowledged or, or they exist and we are paying attention to them and we haven't forgotten them. And this is such a powerful tool that we have now where I can go through my feed every day and at least make a comment on 20 or 30 of my clients or friends uh, daily. And they know that I'm thinking about them. I'm engaged with them. I'm complimenting, you know, when little Johnny gets the goal at the soccer field and, and they know that you're still part of their, um, their community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the online lead space? Is that something that you've, you've ever really focused on, you know, generating leads, websites, user registrations, things like that? Yes. Um, so the caveat there is choose wisely and don't register yourself with every lead gen site that knocks on your door. So there are a few lead generation sites that I believe are, are useful. Um, and, and, you know, we've heard of them and I'm not trying to promote any of them, but bold leads is one of them where you're paying a monthly fee to um, get those leads coming to you. Now they may have come to you anyways, they may have Googled your name and come to you anyways. However, you're paying the fee, it's a, it's a form of marketing. So something like that, I do encourage, um, you know, using Facebook, ad, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, very important to do as well to generate those leads. Then there's the um, referral type of lead where you're getting more of a solid lead, an appointment, or some a request for an appointment. Mm -hmm. The reason why I say be, be very cautious in how you uh, align yourself with those lead gen companies, they're collecting a 25% referral. Now, if you sign up with 10 of them to get a 20, and then you end up getting a 25% referral, remember, if you're not if you're not prominent on your Google search, and if you're not placing at a high level, those lead generation companies are going to get that inquiry before you will. So if they're typing in Ryan Hodge uh, and you've registered with many lead generation companies, chances are they're not going to land on your webpage. They're going to land on the lead generation webpage. Now, even though they were looking for you, you're going to pay a 25% referral to the lead gen company because that's where they landed. So I make a point of not getting lazy on that and making sure that I'm optimizing my social media and my search engine is optimized, that there's constant videos and, and, and blogging and engagement engagement and, and fresh information being circulated so that I'm prominent in those searches and not just sort of somewhere down the line. Mm -hmm. So when they type in, like as, as soon as someone starts typing in Faisal, I want my full name and my website to pop up in the Google search. And, you know, if I ask people to do that once in a while to see if where I'm, uh, where I'm placing, and it is still coming directly to my webpage. Um, now, when they, when they type in, top agent Cambridge, top agent London, Mississauga. If you're aligned with, you know, some of those lead gen generation sites, uh, chances are you're gonna land on those pages uh, because of the keywords that uh, one is using. 
when you you know look at SEO, is that something that you you pay to have done like outsourced, or is it something that your your admin or staff do for you? No, so I have a social media person that does that for me. Okay. Um, I find that you know you have to be careful with the outsourcing because you know it'll be a call center somewhere outside, you know, possibly in India or wherever it is um, that is doing that. But it could just be a bunch of information that's just being put out there, and they're trying to optimize it, but it's not genuine. It's not real. There's no engagement. Um, it's just click, click, click. And there's, there. it's just, it's got to be genuine because the algorithms on social media, uh, Google identify. So that's why, you know, I don't buy followers on my, on my Instagram feed uh, or, or postings because when you're buying followers, that's not genuine content. That's not genuine likes. That's not genuine engagement. So you're not going to place very high when you start sponsoring those ads. And what you want is organic engagement, not paid engagement. In the beginning, my budget for Facebook and Instagram was probably somewhere around $2,000 a month. I'm, I'm down to less than $500 a month because my organic engagement has increased so much now that the paid advertising isn't required as much. Wow. And, and when you talk about the organic, is, is that off of your business pages or, or your personal? So I've combined my business and personal as one. And that's okay. the other thing. Um, and, 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 I, and I'm a real proponent of this because people want to know who you are. What are you into? What is your lifestyle? How can they relate to you? And if you're not relatable, if everything you post about is just business, you're not really humanizing yourself. You're becoming just an object. And, and it's so important to, you know, there is, there is personal content that I like to post, but not too often. Um, these days we're not really out social, so there's not a whole lot. But if I'm on the ski slopes, I'll take a picture with my son or my family and post that. If it's um, you know someone's birthday, I'll post that. Um, it's just important important to have that personal element in there, so that people know that you're you know you're more than just a realtor, you're more than just a business person, and that you do have a life outside of mm -hmm. there. And these are your hobbies, and and they can relate to you from that perspective. Sure. So. Number one Remax agent in the country. When did when did that all start to happen? Because that's a whole different dynamic than being what we term as a top producer. That's you know the the upper echelon of, of elite status. So take us through that if you don't mind. So um, after two thousand and ten, I I started uh, ranking quite high on the transaction levels. So I was I was consistently selling the most homes in my region in um, Ontario. And then by 2016, um, I started ranking number one in Canada for a number of transactions for Remax. And then the last uh, 2018, 2019, and we'll find out about 2020 tomorrow, in fact, just oh, nice. rank in uh, earned, earned commissions. Uh, my world ranking. So I, I'm ranked currently at number three in all of in the world, number one in Canada. Um, still ranked number one in Canada for transactions um, since 2016. And uh, so we'll see what happens. But that, it 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 just it's a momentum. Um, I've got a very unique system. I do not have a team, mm -hmm. um, but I have a very unique system that I've implemented that's allowed me to focus very very heavily on the listing side and I handle each and every listing personally I have three full-time assistants that are admin they're not licensed uh, they handle all of the you know feedback follow-up admin marketing you name it uh, scheduling and so my job is basically showing up um, I handle every offer that comes in on my listing so I don't I don't have a team or team member that does any of the listing side. Um, on the buying side, I have a buyer's uh, rep network, and it's no different than having a referral network mm -hmm. where if someone's moving to London, I'm going to call you, Ryan, and say, you know, I've got a client uh, who wants to buy a home in, in London, please help them out. So I'm doing that on a, on a localized level. When I, because of the amount of marketing, branding, uh, boosting that I'm doing in Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington. I'm getting a lot of uh, people asking me, hey, we're going to be in town. We want to buy a home. Can you help us? That non sort of that colder sort of 
uh, uh, contact is referred out to one of five or six buyers reps that I've identified as part of my network. Mm. And I refer my business to those people. Um, they run their own show. They're independent agents. They have buses, billboards, you name it. They do their own marketing. They do their own branding. There is no affiliation with me other than I'm a referral source. So I'm no different than a lead generator to mm -hmm. those people. And that's what I've been doing. So that allows me to, per to participate in those transactions that I've generated the lead for, but I don't get involved in any of the ongoing uh, business. And then I've got a, a, a system in place that if that buyer has a home to sell and it's within my region, then I take that listing as well. So I always handle the listing end of things and I always refer the buyers end of things. Now, if someone's calling on one of my own listings and they're not already working with a realtor, I personally show my listings as well. You do? Absolutely. I, I, I was surprised to hear that you say that actually, but that's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. So at any given time, I may have you know, 12 <laughs> to 15 active listings that I'm working on. And I have the, you know, believe it or not, I did 458 ends last year. I have the time to show my listings. Now there are exceptions if I'm away or if I if it's a weekend. I, I try to get a get away Thursday nights and I take Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the cottage. Uh, but you know I will make the time and I will make sure that those listings are still serviced uh, when I'm not here. But if I am here, I'm handling that. So what I guess supported your decision in going down that route than the big team? Because, you know, you see these monster teams, which some of them now are, are like a brokerage within a brokerage. But what what made you go down this road? Because it, it is rare. Like, I, I don't hear too many people that are doing 450 ends without a team. Yeah. So, and, and again, that's where, you know, 386 of those ends were listing ends. The balance were uh, referral ends that I get 50% credit for when I refer that business out. So it's not, uh, it, none of that comes into to me as a team leader. And so the reason why I don't have a team is A, I don't find it sustainable for me. And then again, not to take away from any team leaders that may be listening. You know, just for me, I didn't find, I've never done it, but I've watched it. And I've looked at leaders in my own office that had 10, 12 people and they couldn't sustain that mm -hmm. because it was sort of this, inequity where you know the, the the team members were always complaining and who were they complaining to they were complaining to me saying Faisal you know I've been with this team for a year and I get no leads or I get rental leads I don't get the good stuff the team leader takes all the good stuff or gives it to their favorite employee or whoever it is um, so there was always this and I'm like I don't want to be in a position where a I have to babysit a bunch of realtors that are looking at me to give them business so when I when I run this referral network I'm also mentoring these agents they're 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 newer agents they're they're ambitious, they're motivated, they're hungry, they want the business. And I like to take them to a point where they can say to me, Faisal, we've had enough, we can't take any more of your leads. And that opens the door for someone else to come in who's young and energetic and, and young in the business, not necessarily young, but young in the business to, to, to take on the reins of that and do the running around and, and, and take and, and be really motivated to, to grow their business. So I identify the right personalities that I want to work with. And what I do is I encourage them. I'm not threatened by them branding themselves, them advertising. I have one of my buyer's reps that I refer a lot of business to has a billboard on the flip side of my billboard. Mm. So I don't look at it as competition. I look at it as compliment where I would rather help them grow their business because while I'm referring business to them, I'm also helping them finance their branding. And when they get to that point, then I can pass it on to someone else. Wow. When you, you know, look at that dynamic and I, I've been through the ups and downs with, with my own teams and, and I, I fully agree on sustainability. It's really, really challenging. What have you seen emerge? Have you, are, are you seeing some that do have that, that high level of success and, you know, can, can make it all work or, or is it just ongoing? Because from everything that I've seen, everybody that I've spoken to, interviewed, colleagues, whatever, 
they indicate that the average turnover for a team member is about 22 months. That and, sounds about right. And, and that's one of the greatest challenges that I ever, ever had was, was really wanting to keep going on the team dynamic because all that time, energy, money, invested, and then they're gone. So to that point, my average buyer's rep that I refer business to has been with me for eight years. So I started that in 2012 and those buyer's reps are still with me and they're, they're, they're doing very well. They're doing around 50 to 60 ends a year. Um, and they're still happy to take the business because what they've identified is that there are seasons in which there's a lot of business that's going to come to them organically through their spheres, but there are seasons when they're not going to have that. And when they don't have that, they're really looking at, you know, as, as an agent, I'm happy if you call me right now, Ryan, and say, Faisal, I've got a listing in Cambridge for you. I'm going to take that listing. I'm going to happily pay you the referral because I'm not going to turn away that referral source. And that's why these agents are happy to take that. But they also don't ever come to me and, and whine about, hey, why haven't you sent me a lead? Why haven't you sent me a referral? Because they understand that you know, I have a very stringent policy. I have a, I have a contract that I ask them to sign. And, you know, when I get a lead in, they have 20 minutes to respond to that. Mm -hmm. lead. They have 20 minutes. If they don't respond to that lead in 20 minutes, it goes to somebody else. So um, most of them have set up these uh, awesome ringtones on their phone. So they know when my leads coming into them, they're going to pick up because they don't want to miss out on that 20 minute opportunity. That's awesome. When, when you refer though, so for example, somebody's, you know, coming in and they want to buy and I, I, I don't work with buyers. I've got a, a partner that she would, or, you know, I, I would refer out. I think one of the greatest fears that anybody always has is that they're not controlling the whole situation and they won't let go of a buyer in order to focus on other things. Is it a challenge to refer, you know, to somebody in that, you know, type of network, because it's not like you're saying this is part of my team or, or how do you position that? that everybody's comfortable and moves forward. So, you know, I've identified uh, the five or six people that I work with and I know their personalities. I know how they work. I know what they're, you know, I, I have people that are very nurturing and very, um, you know, soft-spoken. Then I have people that are, you know, very charismatic and just, you know, uh, gets along with everybody. So, you know, I, there's different characteristics. And it's, I think it's important that even in a team environment, you have to choose. I have I have um, some people that are a little bit older. I have some people that are a little bit younger. I have, um, I have two males that I refer to because certain ethnicities prefer to work with males, certain ethnicities prefer to work with uh, females. So, you know, you've got to sort of look at, we are, you know, we are sort of making a judgment call when that lead comes in. So I identify based on, now I may take the call or I may take, I read the email that comes in and I'll identify what the person's needs are before I actually, so I do vet the lead before I send it out to somebody. So I think you just have to really be mindful of the people that you're going to align yourself with, that they fit your sort of model and that they fit your culture that you've got in your industry. Did you, I mean, the, the network that you have, I, I guess I would question, you could have an incredible real estate office or a brokerage. Did you ever consider that as an option or, or is it along the lines that you just didn't want the, the management of people aspect? So, I, you know, I made, a, I made a decision many, many years ago. Um, I like aligning myself with a brand. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that one gets lazy and says, well, I'll just ride on the coattails of the brand. But I like aligning myself with the brand because I've been able to sort of, um, you know, use that brand to my advantage and become my own brand. Now I may be a, my own brand within my community or within this, within the city or this region, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm a brand outside of here. So that, that's one of the reasons that I didn't do it. But the, the other decision that I made is that I'm running a real estate business independently as an agent and I earn commissions from that. I like to leverage that in in using that to invest in developments, in uh, building, in uh, investing in uh, properties, um, 
doing other things with that resource as opposed to putting uh, all my eggs in one basket and say, okay, now I'm going to invest. Running a brokerage, as you know, Ryan, is it's a different animal than <laughs> you know selling real estate. So I'm not a manager. I identified that. I don't do well with having to, you know, worry about infrastructure of an office and, and, and um, compliance and trust accounts. I would rather pass that all off to someone who knows what they're doing and just focus on what I know and stay basically in my lane. But I'm leveraging my career to invest in real estate related things, not necessarily a brokerage. Sense. Makes, makes total sense. So you said that you're into development and uh, investment properties, things like that as well. Is that a, a great passion of yours? Or, or... Yes, I uh, very early on, I started investing in partnerships. And, and that's the other thing, you know, multi-level partnering is so important. A lot of agents don't do that in our industry. Um, you, you know, and I get it. A lot of people are apprehensive about partnerships, but I like to, and I've always, it started with the South African group that we were talking about earlier. When they were in town buying a commercial building, they needed a local partner who was a Canadian resident. I took a 5% and I was 19 years old. I took a 5% ownership interest. 3% of that came from my commissions. I didn't even know about property uh, or income tax at the time. So I had to cough that up a little bit later on. But 3% of that came from my income generated from the commissions. And the other 2% came from borrowing on my line of credit at the time to invest 5% in this building. And what I learned from that on is that it's nice and it's advantageous to be even a small part of something that could potentially be very big after that i invested again my commissions kept being reinvested um and i was you know 18 when i started um i stayed i, I lived at home um i wasn't you know bogged down with all the other things that come with life at the time so i was able to continuously reinvest uh the money that i was earning back into investments with uh, people that, and I would ask them, I say, hey, if you're interested, I'd love to participate in this investment property. And I've, I've continued, I've done a lot on my own since, but to this day, recently we just purchased a plaza and I took a percentage of the ownership of that as, as because I'm trying to build my real estate portfolio as I'm in this industry. And it does, it does surprise me at how many realtors don't take advantage of that opportunity. Um, even if it's in a small part, uh, if the opportunity exists, uh, because at, at some point, you know, we're not gonna have a pension and these properties are going to go a long way in, uh, in uh, paying for our retirement. Uh, I, I, as you know, I've written a book and I talk a lot about this and, and how to leverage your license and how to monetize your license, uh, be it through uh, property management, but other avenues that you can explore that your real estate license um, permits you to do so. And, and there's so much you can do with it that uh, I've only recently started exploring those options even at a greater length now. Oh. So let's talk about the book for a second. What led you to writing, writing a book? So I would often be called into uh, the local high schools um, and, and a lot of the teachers were, you know, became clients of mine and, 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 you know, the, the environment in the schools has continuously changed. I don't know if it's for the worse or better, but we'll leave that out. Um, and, and many, many kids are lost. Um, I, I would say that I was very lucky that I sort of knew what I wanted to do and I was determined to do it and I followed my path but not everyone is set to go to university get an education okay. get a degree and then get a job and work for someone there are many people that are just looking for something else and they have the sort of the mindset to do something uh, and, and they need some sort of mentorship or coaching so many years ago I started doing that with with the high school that I actually went to and I would do speaking engagements there um, and and one-on-one and, 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 -on -one and bringing co-op students in and just trying to and, and usually it would be kids that were really lost and, and needed some guidance and and it was one, one of the things that I actually enjoyed doing um, but one of my teachers at the time said you know you should really write about your journey and more to inspire 
you know, uh, young people even just to, to get, tell them, look, you know, you came through and, and, I, and I came through a, a very difficult childhood. Um, a lot of, you know, uh, things, unfortunate things happened. My father lost his right arm in an industrial accident wow. three years after we moved to this country. So my mom worked in a factory just to make ends meet for us. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, hardships that we faced. Um, and to be able to sort of come out of that and 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 pass through the, the things that I went through and sharing that journey uh, I thought would be a good inspiration to some people young people part two of that was I wanted my you know I don't sit down with my kids and tell them the whole story and that type of thing and I thought you know it'd be kind of a nice thing to do leave a legacy for my children to read about hey dad's journey how he got to where he is and what he did um, and then Often I would get realtors calling me, asking me to, you know, sit down with them, talk to them, share my strategies. So I, I decided that, you know, I'm going to write a complete book. Every, absolutely everything I do, what we're talking about today is all in there. All of my strategies, nothing held back. In fact, my uh, my editor said, hey, you're saying too much here. You're giving away <laughs> all the secrets. And I said, no, you know what? I probably won't write another book. So I, I like to put it all in there once and for all. And um, and so it's got business strategies. It's got investment strategies. I talk about a, a lot about financial literacy for youths. I also talk a lot about investing for your future and retirement. And it, it, it's not only for investors, but it's also a good guide for realtors. And look, it's just my experiences. I'm not by any means suggesting I've done it the right way. I've done the things that worked for me mm -hmm. and, I, and I felt there would be some benefit in sharing that if others are in the same uh, position to take advantage of those uh, strategies. That's amazing. And, and can you refresh everybody for the name of the book, where they can find it? Sure, I, shameless plug here, let me get it here. So that's the book there, it's called The Real Deal journey of a billion dollar real estate broker uh it's on amazon um uh, audible kindle and there is a hard copy as well um so amazon.ca uh, if you type in my name or the real deal uh donald trump's book might come up as well so don't get that one did you do the audible yourself on it i uh, you know i i was about to um so and Ryan, you know, we were we were in a focus group uh, once a month. Uh, um, I, I was taking a lot of time at the cottage. So that's, you know, COVID helped me write the book because uh, yeah, starting April, I really hunkered down and, and started writing this book and got it published by September. Wow. Um, I was about to go into the studio in May. And then, of course, the real estate uh, market just exploded. And uh, before you knew it, I, I had no time. So I I got a gentleman out of California who who did the voice for me, and uh, it's it's if you didn't know me, you'd probably think it was me speaking. Nice, nice. It's uh, it's quite a process. I did Audible for my book, and it was in the studio. But you know, there, there's a, a dynamic when you edit a book. I don't know if you went through this yourself, but for me, it was reading the book out loud yes. as, as a part of the process that I, I worked with a book coach when I did mine. And you catch errors, but when you go in and read your own book in a studio, it's it's a, a challenging, challenging experience because you cough or you know, like you, you lose your tone. They stop you. It's 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 a it's a, a process for sure. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's three hundred and fifty six pages, so <laughs> I, I just don't know if I've got the ability to do that. Um, one day, I would love to do that. I'd love to put it in my own words. Uh, but um, the the gentleman uh, that uh, that that read it for me, he uh, he did a fantastic job. I'm quite pleased with it. What do you do for your own motivation, inspiration? I mean, you're you're a pretty inspiring fellow. Obviously, anybody here that's heard this or reads your book, it's just it is you know looking to model excellency, like you said at, at the beginning of this. But what what do you seek out for motivation, inspiration, and you know what keeps you going? You know, I find inspiration in many different ways. Uh, I'm inspired by my kids. You know, I, I look at my kids. I look at uh, what they're doing, uh, what what they want to get out of life, and and you know that that desire to to be more, to do more. So that that you know, from that level up, and then I look at uh, people that uh, are you know have come out of 
much, much more hardships than I've ever even dreamt of. Um, making such great lives in themselves, people that have come through wars or come through, you know, um, uh, droughts and, and, and things like that. And so for me, it's, it's about just building a future that um, I can look back on and be proud of, but not taking away from family. And, you know, I was very fortunate that I started in this business at a young age. And many of the senior agents that I was working with at that time would always say, hey, you know, the kids grow up too fast, you know, spend time with your kids and, and take the time to, you know, really listen to them. And, and you know, our, our families, you know, our parents were first generation, we didn't really get that opportunity to get very close with them, because they were trying to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, you know, having that time with my kids my son is 19 my daughter is 15 but having had you know the ability to take thursday nights off right through to sunday and spend time with them and and watch them grow and have those conversations um those are things that you know in itself it's inspiration and it motivates you to to do better to do mm -hmm. more and um to do it in a way that is uh, also showing them uh, an example of what hard work can give you and what uh, being honest will will give you in life. Um, so those are those are the things that really I use to to get inspired. Uh, I find inspiration from a lot of agents that are um, in the industry and it's not necessarily successful agents. I, I admire a lot of the younger agents that are trying to get there and and I learn a lot like you know this is the thing it's just when I listen to even the even my buyers reps and, and the experiences that they're having today out in the in the field, um, I never had to deal with that. Well, I didn't ever have to deal with multiple offers and losing thirty one offers before you you win yeah, one. Crazy. Those, those things didn't happen. So there's a there's a whole level of respect that I have for agents that are doing that, and I I, I feel very grateful that I'm on the listing side. Um, delivering great news to sellers, but don't get me wrong, there were many years there uh, in the early 90s and 2000 and 2007, where you were not delivering good news to sellers, you were talking about how they're going to lose their home, how they're going to have a foreclosure. And I and I get beat up a lot on social media right now when I post, you know, I sold a house for $300,000 over asking, but you know, I, I don't get bothered by it at all, because those people who bought those homes, sacrificed their vacations, their brand new cars, their you know luxuries of life, um, uh, deserve those returns on their investment and their sacrifices. Um, people have a choice, you know. They, those who didn't make those right choices back then, and are begrudging those who are making money on their real estate investments today. Um, that's on them. It's not, I don't think one should begrudge the people that are making good returns on their money right now because there were many years where they didn't make any anything on totally. Just, just on the technical side of things, and this is just my own interest. Um, you know, we know that there's, you know, a rule and regulation about posting, you know, how much over asking or things like that. Obviously, people would observe yours. How how do you set that up? Do you do you get the written permission from buyer and seller um, yeah. for, for that? Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a schedule that's printed in my offer. So uh, any any offer that comes to uh, on my listing uh, has a schedule be attached. Now, um, there might be, I, I can't even think, there might be one or two out of 458 transactions that I did where someone specifically said, I do not want it published. Right. That. Yeah, sure. Sure. No, I, I just, I always see it on yours because I follow your Instagram. It always just blows me away as far as sold and how much over and, and that. But I wondered because our, our board here in London is really scrutinizing a lot of agents that are posting it, but they don't have the permission and they're just trying to keep people out of trouble, of course. So. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and again, I, I respect that, but yeah, we do have a schedule. Um, and, and, there's a, there's a part two to that. You know, I've always, when I list a property, and this is one of the things that I think is very important as a listing agent, I never want to annoy the buyer. I want that call to come in and I don't want that call to be how much are you asking? Because I'm not looking for a cold lead anymore. I want a qualified person calling me. I always publish the asking price on a property when I'm listing a property. Mm. And when I'm providing the sold, 
I'm also provide A, it's marketing, no question about it, but B, it's also information. Sold information is not readily available to, to uh, buyers and sellers. So I think it's important, if, especially, you know, when you have 4,000 or 5,000 followers, um, why not be the source of information? Why not give them, why not be the first to let them know? And in turn, you might be the one that they think of when they're thinking about buying or selling real estate. Why not be the one, why not be the source of the information they go to for all things relate to real estate? When government rules change, when banking changes, when there's incentives, when there's tax breaks, you know, be the first to be out there and, 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 and put it out there so that you become their go-to in all things related to real estate. Mm-hmm. When you talk about, you know, your, your brand affiliation, and, and I, I think that you're pretty open because we, we've talked before and it's, it's not a, I'm Remax and, and a look at me sort of thing. When you see people that are, you know, I often see people that jump around all the time. And I've, I've never thought that that's going to be healthy for your business when your sphere sees you constantly, you know, moving around looking for the next, you know, solution, which really it's, it's not the brand. But right now, obviously, with, you know, companies like EXP or some of the, you know, the big cloud-based based organizations, there's a lot of disruption with it. Do you have a take on it? Not necessarily why one's better than, than the other, but more so in terms of, you know, what an affiliation or what to look for from a company or organization for, for anybody, like just a general kind of sense of what people should look for. Right. And uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of jumping around. You have to think about, am I, am I jumping around because I want that six months free desk fee or I want something? And if that's your motivation, you know what? You've just basically started an exit plan. You're getting out of the business because yeah. if you're jumping around because someone's offering you a little bit of an incentive to come there um, and, you know, not to pick on EXP and I don't know too much about EXP. I think there's great value to join EXP if you've got a team of 40 agents and there's another source of income that you're going to get. I don't know the whole structure. I know they have a share structure. I know they have an incentive, but it, to me, it, it's, it's more of a sort of a pyramid or an Amway type of thing, multi-level marketing, um, which it might be. And I, and forgive me if I'm, if I'm misspeaking here, but I just don't know enough about it, nor do I really care to learn at this point, but I think there's value to someone to go into that if they've got an established, mm-hmm. uh, business model and they're going to generate income passively uh, as a result of that. Um, when you're looking at joining an organization, you have to look at the leader, if, if, whether it's a team or a brokerage. You have to look at the leader. You have to look at the resources that they offer, the training that they offer. Have they evolved as a brokerage? Why are the cloud type based real estate firms doing so well? Because they've evolved into a technology based platform that resonates with young people. Millennials love that because they can sort of do everything cloud-based and mm-hmm. the, you know, is I, right? iCloud, I, I this, iPhone, whatever it is. So it's, it's resonating and they brilliant. That, that whole concept is brilliant, but don't forget what we do. We sell real estate, mm-hmm. forget all the noise, forget all of that. We sell real estate. So what, is going to enable you to sell real estate the best. What is going to give you the tools that you need to sell real estate the best? And that's where I've always insisted that we have the latest technology. Um, you know, I've got a great, so, and I talk a lot about social media, but I've got a great social media following and a great social media platform and online presence because I refused to remain stagnant. I refuse to just stay status quo. You know, I'll just keep doing my weekly ads in the newspaper. And those are my colleagues that I started with 32 years ago in this business that didn't evolve, that didn't choose to um, embrace the change are no longer in business or Mm -hmm. they've just basically, you know, fizzled out. Um, So that's important. 
you also have to look at the power that your brokerage has or the ability to help you finish, get, get past the finish line. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, disrupting the disruptors. You have this whole iBuyer platform right now yeah. where, you know, you get the iBuyers and you know, wholesalers and we'll buy your home for cash. Now, just imagine this. You're a young person in this business. You don't have the resources. Um, I have my I have my own iBuyer program that I offer anybody that wants it. It's available to them. I'm fortunate that I have the resources to do it. But let's say you're 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 a newer agent. You don't have the resources. Your brokerage. Just imagine if your brokerage offered that and said, "Okay, if there's ever an opportunity that you're about to lose the listing because they are willing to wholesale this to an iBuyer." come to us and we'll fund it. We'll fund your IBA or we'll guarantee the sale and we'll make sure that they get a minimum payout on that. When you offer and when you can disrupt the disruptors, that's when you're going to succeed. And to, in order to do that, you have to have some sort of foundation or backing, whether it be your broker, a group of investors or someone. And, and this is something that our industry is going, it's being attacked with right now. Um, you get those fancy handwritten email, uh, sorry, mail, mail in your mailbox, yeah. the, the post signs and, and people offering the world uh, to get you to sell without going on the market. Well, what can you do to disrupt that? And the way to disrupt that is not resist it, but to embrace it and to offer it as a part of the menu of services that you have. Mm -hmm. so good and there, and there's so much of that in our market right now and it's um and, and i know that they're disrupting a number of agents because I, I hear about you know even our agents all the time that um you know are having challenges with it so this gives me a great idea i thank you for that so, so ryan i'll tell you um most of the most of the time i hear agents call and they call me arguing and and upset and angry and telling me about the the agent that did this and what they want to do to them and just like just awful things sure and I, and i've got a very simple solution when i sit at someone's uh, table and they say that the wholesaler or the i buyer offered them x amount of dollars i have a checkbook in my briefcase that I bring out and I say, whatever the offer is, I will increase it by $10,000 and I'll write you a check. But I don't feel it's in your best interest to take my check right now. Let me list your home. Let me get you the, 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 the price point that I feel your home is worth and exceed your expectations. For one or two weeks to be on the market, why would you leave that kind of money on the table? And if you don't get it, here's my check. I'll write you a check for $10,000 more and I don't even want to know what the other price was. I can tell you right now, I can give you $10,000 more and I'm still getting a deal on your home. And that's powerful when you can do that. Huge, huge, that's amazing. I hope everybody's paying attention to that right now because that is, is one of your greatest forms of com competition strategy that I, I think I've heard in a long time. Um, I'm going to open it up just quickly. I know that you're a, you're a busy fellow. So just to see if there's uh, anybody that has some questions. Um, I will open this up here. Does anybody have any questions for, for Faisal today? Anybody? You've just brought brought the information so well that I think you've answered everybody's questions. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, feel free to put my information out there. If anyone has any questions, they want to reach out to me, happy to get back to them. Awesome. Where is the best place that people can find you, uh, you know, for referrals for, you, you know, we've already talked about your book. So Amazon, the real deal, that's definitely, you know, the, the number one, but where can they find you and, and reach out? Do you do any kind of consulting or coaching for agents or anything like that? Or I, I don't, I don't at this point, I, I do, uh, I just don't have the time to do it at this point, but I guess part of the uh, idea of the book is at some point I'll, uh, if I ever slow down a little bit, I will do that. And uh, uh, I just don't have, and again, you know, I, I am sort of a one man show, so I'm, I'm trying to manage that and I don't want to change lanes at this point, but I'm always happy to take a call or, or an email. My, my email is Faisal at homeshack.com. I would encourage anyone to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, 
of course, as well. Um, and you know, let's let's uh, engage if there's any any questions, any ideas you guys want to uh, toss around. I'm happy to uh, to talk to you about that as well. But uh, yeah, social media is a great spot to really uh, connect on, and I and I encourage anybody that's listening to do that. So awesome! Thank you so much for your time today. It's an honor that you contribute to our organization and. Um, just amazing. I've been so excited to connect and hear more about what you do. I've known known you for a while, and I've certainly known of you for a long time. But actually hearing it is... You, Ryan, you're doing some great stuff. I watch your videos, and, and you've done fantastic, and your coaching is excellent. So props to you for everything you're doing and how you're mentoring and inspiring uh, the agents as well. I appreciate that, my friend. So we'll connect. I thank everybody else for, for tuning in today. I will... Be sure to post this uh, video in the various groups that we do. And I look forward to connecting with you next time. So thanks so much. And we'll chat real soon. My pleasure. Take care. Take care, everybody.